0: by Ken's House of Pancakes. You remember? Had the movie theater, had Fun Factory, had McDonald's downstairs. Even like, I know the shops changed over the years, but you guys remember the game Pogs? You guys remember I had this round little coin thing? There was a store downstairs, and we would buy Pogs, and I would buy the cheat ones. You know where the uncle would put the weight, the quarter in the middle, so that when I go clowning, on the only the next day, I'm ripping off everybody's Pogs. You know what I'm saying? You know, you guys remember those shops? What about like, uh, you remember? You guys remember when Cosmic Cones used to be? Dairy Queen. You guys remember those days? You remember when Crest Theaters was the hot spot in the 90s, right? I remember my dad and I watching Selena in 1995 by ourselves. Were, we were the only two Kanaka males in there, all right? Everybody else was girls, and when Selena got shot... Everybody cried, even us two Connies in there, okay? You guys remember, Crest Theaters was the jam. It was awesome, right? What about you guys remember the old, listen to me, the old Keokaha Blue Gym. Anybody remember? You remember every Friday night during football season, we would have the dollar dance, right? That, I mean, that's when it went down. Let me tell you something. All of us, six-year-old to eighteen-year-old, was getting groovy back then. <laughs> you know, the way we used to hook up was all the football boys would be on the wa- this side of the wall, all the cheerleaders would be on that side of the wall, and we'd be we'd be like, I ain't not the we be I not the friend that we like. We like the person next to. So Come, 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 talk to me. Come, I'll tell your girl. Come, come, we'll talk. We never had ba- <laughs> We never even had pages because it was too young. You know, never have a cell phone. Right, that was the days. I mean, I mean, talk about learning how to sin. <laughs> talk about bump and grind. Us Hawaiians created that at the Dollar Friday night dances at Kyoka Blue Gym, right? Uh, how many of you remember the in the early nineties when break dancing became cool again, right? The op rock, yeah, the op rock. Yeah, everybody, right? How many of you guys remember the Kaiko Mall? Now, that was the jam. Kaiko Omar only because it had the best Chinese restaurant there, okay? It's not the same today, but Chang's was the hot spot after football practice. I promise you that. $5, you get a big plate to eat, all right? You can eat them the next morning, too, if you get leftovers. But, man, and then back in the day, later in the 90s, uh, Kilka, Jim, the dancing was too, you know... Us, we're getting 15, 16. We're too cool for the kill car dances. So they started this thing called phase one and phase two. You guys may not even remember that. And that's where all the scraps went down, bruh. You went to faith, had dancing, had karaoke, had... um. What else had, had arcades in there, but all the fights went down right in the parking lot at phase one. Uh, and, and what happens, eventually it became the government building, being the new courthouse and that we know it today. Let's go on. How many of you remember the old McDonald's across from Highley Church? Right? It's still there, right? Nobody's going to rent it. Ohana Church, thank God for wisdom. We almost got the place. And then when we saw the sewer issue, God said, Aole, bro. Uh, So thank God we didn't go there. How many of you know where the new McDonald's is right now? How many of you remember Western Auto over there? Right, when we used to get our part, we didn't have O'Reilly's. We didn't have Walmart, you know, till later on. I mean, Western Auto was the place to be. How many of you remember the old Saddle Road, right? Now, not not the 30-minute drive today, guys, okay? Generation, you don't know the old saddle road. I mean, when you have to go to Waikiki Ranch to get to Waimea, then come down all the way from Waimea, man, you guys don't know that, right? What about the old general store at the Arnott's Lodge where Koka is? You remember, every? if you got kicked out of that store, be honest and raise your hand. Yeah, Uncle Will, I'm with you. Four times I got kicked out of that store. For something, I never do, you know? All right, that's the reality. Yeah, I mean, that was the jam back in the day. What about, if you guys grew up in Popeye Co, what about the old Yoshiyama's General Store? They had the best hamburgers, deluxe over there. What about, hey, remember? Pinkies. How many of you guys remember Pinkies, Right? Eh? That was the jam. Oh, let's go. The old Hilo Bowling Alley, right? I mean... We didn't even have digital, like how everybody, even Volcano has digital scoring. We still write it down even to the day it shut down five years ago, right? What about, what about the old Prince school here Woolworths? Anybody remember Woolworths, right? Anybody remember uh, Champ Sports, right? Champ Sports, it just closed down a couple years ago. How about Hilo Hattie? Anybody remember Hilo Hattie, right? So many things. What about when Walgreens was Borders Bookstore? You guys remember that? Borders Bookstore when you used to have Connie Capile every Friday and Saturday. We, you know what else Hawaiians will do? We'll read everything we can and put them back so we don't have to buy them. You know, that's why Walgreens are there today, right? That's the reality. Why am I saying this? Because our text takes us to something like that. Paul has been on mission for 30 years, and now Paul is finally coming back home, and things changed a little. Can I get a witness? And so we're going through this series called Rising Tide. At our church, we believe that expository teaching is one of the valuable ways of understanding Scripture. What I mean by that, we study books of the Bible verse by verse. And so it's taken us almost two years to get to chapter 21 where we are today. And we believe at Ohana Church, because this world is dying, filled with sin, filled with corruption, God's church has to rise up and rise forward for the advancement of the gospel. And I want to I want to share before we get into the text, I want to share one quick thing with you. If you know that this is the authority of what you believe, but then you still disobey what you know to be true. I would want to encourage you to evaluate your heart today. We believe at Ohana Church that this Book we call the Bible, the Word of God, is 100 percent accurate. There is no flaws, there is no error. though, people, though men have fault flaws because of sin, God is perfect, and god 's word is to be true. and my biggest hope and my biggest hope is that you would understand that sin separates you from a relationship with Christ, and if you know what the Bible says is true and you still do not follow what it means to be true, then I would beg you to really cry out to God today. Because we got enough hypocrites in this world today. We need people to be honest and transparent. It's one thing, you know, to, be, to, to completely be honest and transparent about our issues. It's a whole other thing to know something and not practice what you know to be true. And I want to encourage you as we move forward, the only way we'll take this world by force is as we practice what we believe. And I want us to dive into God's word. We believe at Ohana Church that community is everything. As we talked about the different businesses in Hilo Town, community is everything. In fact, it's one of our core values. We believe here. It's right on the screen. We believe everyone on this earth was created for what? Community. And our desire is to see people connect in gospel-centered Community. We were talking with the men yesterday. And one of the things that we realized as men is maybe sometimes men don't come to our group because we want them to look like us rather than to look like Christ. Now, that's no excuse for those who don't show up. The reality is God has called us men to love each other, to encourage each other, to rebuke one another, correct, admonish one another. But what happens in life is that sometimes we try to create these Christian circles, right? You guys see what I mean? these Christian circles, and what happens is that the individual we're investing in is not even there yet. They're not even there, so when we invite them to some kind of group that has biblical truth in it and they don't show up, our heart gets offended or we feel betrayed because there's a lack of loyalty in the relationship, and this, as a pastor, I have to think the opposite. I cannot think that way, because if I think that way, I cannot reach people with the gospel, So what we have to do, we have to do with the time, energy, and resources, we have to meet them where they are, right? So if those buggers are at the puck, sucking them up, getting nuts and all that, that's where they are. Go where they are, okay? If those buggers are at the football field you know whatever the place that's where they are go away they are cuz what happens in christian culture we try to think oh this everybody should do what we're doing that's, that's not reality reality is we jesus always starts from where the individual is and move them where they need to be and sometimes that's not based on your timeline can I get a witness well, in church you know something that's because what happens life life Everybody have different perspective. Everybody has different viewpoints. And if we don't come back to this, we'll just, we'll just let life suck us dry. How many of you people suck you dry, right? How many of you, you suck yourself dry, right? Like, like what fills you? Like, what fills you? What encourages you? What, what allows you to move forward in this life? Because what happens is, like, as much as people fuels me, people drives me, at the same time, if I am not here, then I cannot be here. And so the reality is our joy is found in communion with Christ and communion with one another. Would you stand with me in the reading of God's word? Brother Paul coming back home. And we see a great response in what Paul experienced in coming back home after 25, 30 years of doing mission work. It says this. Luke writes, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to who? James, the brother of Jesus. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had what? Say it louder. Yes. Done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake who? Who? Moses, the teachings of Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore, Paul, what we tell you to do. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood. And listen to this text and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. God, so much clarity needs to be clear today. And we don't need more information. We need your Spirit. Spirit, give us utterance. Free any guilt or shame that is in our lives. Help us to articulate and clarify what these truths mean in your text. And, Father, more than just trying to put on a show on Sunday morning, would you inhabit our sacrificial hearts today? We're not here for a show. We're here to honor you and to be cleansed by you. Purify us as you purify Paul and these four brothers in Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. God's ohana says amen. Your may be seated. We see two things, and we'll be piled. But the two things we see is, number one, we see a joyful welcome. I want you to look at verses 17 and 20. After many years, 25 to 30 years, some scholars got in between. But 25 to 30 years of Paul, from his conversion day all the way till now, we see 25 to 30 years of Paul being gone from his hometown of Jerusalem. And when he arrived, there was a joyful welcome. The brothers, the Christian church of Jerusalem welcomed them with open arms. And you might say, what was the great welcome? I mean, 25 years being gone, why was it a great welcoming for Paul? Well, there's two answers to that. The first big answer is that the gospel went further than what Paul, what these Christians expected it to go. The gospel went as far as into Europe at this point because of Paul. Number two... Everything Jesus promised, listen to me, everything Jesus promised 30, 35 years ago is coming to pass. And so the brother of Jesus, what's his name? James is mentioned in the text. And James is very excited because if there's anybody that knew the heart of Jesus, it would be his brother, Right? His brother. His brother is excited. James is considered the leader of the New Testament church in Jerusalem. And let me remind you what Jesus said 35 years ago. He said this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever believes in what? Me. Say it out louder. Me. Will also do the what? Say it like you mean it. That I do. Listen to this verse. This is powerful. And greater works. Let's stop right there. The Son of God, the risen Lamb, the Savior, God in the flesh, says this about y'all. And greater works than these will you do or he do because I am going to the Father. What Jesus is saying is that my time is up, I'm being crucified, I'm going to raise from the dead, I'm going to spend 40 days with you on earth as we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 3 and 4, but i got to go to daddy. i got to go to the father. Why? Because it is your kuleana to do greater things than I can do. Now, the greater things is not saying that we're more powerful than Jesus, but it's just an extension, a baton being passed on. Jesus has given us the baton to move the gospel forward. And he says, I can't go beyond Jerusalem because that's your kuleana. Like, that's your job. Like, your job is to do what God intended for me to do, but because of God's goodness, God is going to use humanity to reach you. humanity in Christ's name. Like, that's why you should be better. That's why you should live better. That's why you should act better, because God's given you the baton. Track and field started this week. And there's a thing in track event. It's not an actual event, but they did it ever since we were in high school. It's called the Weight Man Relay. All right? Now, the Weight Man Relay is all the big brothers and sisters. Okay? It's just a 400-meter run, which is one time around the track, but you have four big brothers and sisters. All right? Two big brothers, two big guys, and it's just something just to have fun with. And what happens It's so powerful. When you see these big guys say, yes, I get to run. I can show everybody I'm faster than the skinnier guys. Yes, sir. Here we go. That is the kind of passion we need to have for the gospel. Like that passion for the gospel should make us be like these big guys. Like the only time they look at us is when they want a shot put thrown or a discus thrown. You know what I'm saying? But what God, what, what God is showing us in this analogy is that passion starts with the heart and not the exterior. Right? You look at these big brothers and sisters, there's no ways they can run. Right? Why? They look at the heart. The heart is motivated. I can do what those skinny guys can do. Right? Now, I may not be able to last as long as that one, but I'm going to do my best. And that's what this passion is driving us forward. They're excited because Paul did what nobody else did. But Jesus promised that they would do that. Acts 1-8. Jesus mentions this in Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the what? Say it like you mean it. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses in where? Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and, let's say this, and to the end of the earth. That's why they're excited. That's why there's a, wel- a, a joyful welcoming for Paul because Paul is living out what Jesus promised he would do through us. What? You've reached the Gentiles all the way Macedonia? Brother, you know what goes on there? Yep, the gospel is being reached. Why? Because what God says, he will do. Look at this uh, uh, application. If God has promised something, say it with me. If God, it's up on the screen. If God has promised something, he will What? Now say it like you mean it. One, two, three. If God has promised something, he will do it. Like that should jack you up. Like that should make you, oh, God, Lord, you promised me this? You're going to do it, God. You're going to do it. And the only reason God would probably wait till he do it is because you are cutting off fellowship with him. Like God will do it. Like God will absolutely do it. But sometimes we're going to have to go the long way to see it fulfilled because of our lack of kuleana. Our lack of responsibility. The God, listen to me, we're one repentance away from God doing what he said he would do. We need to repent, we need to trust in Christ. If God has promised something, He will do it. God does not lie, He is God. He is always, He always does what He says. And listen to me. If you ain't getting on board with Him, that's okay. He'll move you aside and get it done anyway. There's other means. There are other people, and there should always be a response of celebration when God does what he says. The way we're going to grow together as a church is doing exactly what Paul just did. Paul is celebrating with the brothers all that God is doing. This joyful response is what our Sunday gatherings, our our Ohana groups, anytime we get together, this is what our gathering should look like. In our text today, the word for celebration that we see in our response to God's goodness is the word glorified. The word glorified, the Greek word for glorified is doxadzo. Doxadzo means to honor, to bestow honor on someone or something. So when they say that they glorified God together, they're saying this, they're making much of who God is. And we can look at our life and we can evaluate our life and say what we make much of. Did you know that making much of your children can be a sin? Did you know that making much of your spouse could be a sin? Did you know that making much of your church could be a sin? Why? Because above all else, the only one that deserves credibility of our affection and our attention is God. Luke 14 talks about the cost of discipleship. And he says, you must hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, when it comes to me. And now as as Teachers of the world would say, oh, he didn't mean, Jesus didn't really mean hate. No, he meant hate. He means what he says. And what he's trying to compare is that compared to your relationship for me, nothing compares to that. And so when we look at this, our joyful response to God is in direct connection in what God promised he would say he did. You know, I grew up in an old, old Pentecostal church. My dad was the call. And every Sundays, we would have testimony time. Anybody remember those times if you grew up in church? Like, you would have, like, but sometimes we have to, like, uh, you know, oh, amen, sister, sit down, you know. Because sometimes their testimony would go from testimony to telling your whole life story of somebody else's testimony, you know, and all that. But there would be those times where God would, uh, my dad would let people talk story. So this is what I want to do, all right? I want two people to just stand up real quickly and give me a couple sentences. What you thank God for? Come on, ready? Begin. Go, Darian. I thank for my mom and my grandma. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Somebody else. Go, Auntie. My kids. Amen. Yeah. Amen. You see, every one of you could connect with that. They're thanking God. They're glorifying God for their children, for, for mom and dad, for their church. You see how it works now? They're thanking God. They're giving God the recognition for everything else. And that's how we should come into our gatherings together is glorifying God in the praises of what be, we've been involved in. Now, I want you to see specifically what Paul was glorifying God for. But listen to this. Paul glorified God for the advancement of the gospel. What a powerful change of direction. Is, is thanking for our families and that good? Yes, amen. But even more than that, how much more would I thank God when my three boys grow up and they're advancing the, the gospel in Japan to the Asian nations? How much more would I, because the gospel was bigger than just Hilo. This is what John Piper says. John Piper says, God is the most glorified in us. And we are most satisfied in him. This is a quote we use multiple times in our preaching sermons. Why? Because we believe, all right, that God, the way He's glorified, is when we're simply satisfied in Him. You know how we can determine whether we're satisfied in Him? Go through a breakup. Let's see if you're satisfied with Christ. Lose, a, lose some money. See if you're satisfied in Christ. Lose a life. See if you're satisfied in Christ. Lose your business. See if you're satisfied in Christ. That's how we can measure. Paul is saying, man, I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten again. I've been shipwrecked again. I had stones. I've been left for dead outside the city of Philippi. And still, to this day, I'm satisfied in Christ. Are you satisfied in Christ? Our our satisfaction is Christ, all right, in Christ is poured out through our glorification to Christ like how do we respond to God in our satisfaction for him God you're good from the rooftops we proclaim you're good God your love is amazing despite what I just went through you are awesome you are holy you are just you are wrathful and you're perfect Like that is what it means to glorify Christ. No matter the cause, no matter your issue, God is glorified, right? So we see a joyful welcome, number two, and we'll be proud. We see a Jewish warning, a Jewish warning. When we see our text, you guys got to understand Jewish religion, Orthodox beliefs, and Jewish culture and context, we see in our verses today, verses 20 to 26, not everyone was excited about Paul's arrival back home. Not everyone. Hey, that's the same for Lane and I, too. We came back home. The first thing our friends did was put, put a big patina on for us down at Four Miles Beach. And then most of my friends' girlfriends hated me because what Christian, what the Christian message stood for. And they would test me. And not everybody is excited when Christians come in their life. Why? Because the gospel offends people. But listen to me. The gospel may offend people, but you don't have to offend people. Does that make sense? Where you come in is you love them to the beauty of the truth of Christ. A Jewish warning, we see in these verses that Paul is saying, ah, Paul is being told by his Jerusalem brothers, not everybody's, Excited about you, bro. Yeah, Here's a great welcome, but not everybody's excited. In fact, the brothers warned Paul about certain things that he's being accused for. Hey, this is, why not, this, is why, this is the reason why not everybody is excited to see you, Paul. Here's number one. It's because Paul taught Jews, specifically in Macedonia, to forsake the teachings of Moses. All right? If you're a Donald Trump fan... If you're an Obama fan, that's like saying Obama is crazy. Donald Trump is crazy. That's like the person you put on a pedestal. That was Moses. That is Moses to the Jewish Orthodox believers. Moses is everything, right? And Paul was saying some of these things to the Gentiles. He also taught that Jews were to forsake the circumcision of children. One of the ways that the Jewish culture identified themselves as being God's children were they that were the only people that circumcised the forehead skin of the male child on the eighth day of their birth. Last one. Paul taught that Jews were to forsake other traditional customs like festivals. And all this stuff. And there was some truth to this. However, there was also some sensitivity to this in Acts 16. We see that Paul sees Timothy, and Timothy as a young man. Paul circumcised Timothy as a young man. Is in Could you guys imagine that? Could you guys imagine being 18, 19, 20 years old, and a brother is gonna cut the foreskin off of your godlihood? So there was some sensitivity. Why? Because there was a lot of Jews where Timothy lived. And one of the ways Timothy was going to reach Jews and have a platform to share the gospel was by the custom that God instituted in the Old Testament. And that's the fight. Now, why would God do this in the Old Testament and God wouldn't do this in the New Testament? Because the Jewish people was the starting platform for the peoples of the earth. Are you with me? What happened in the Old Testament is that they did rituals and tradition that pointed us to Jesus, but it was still not fulfilled apart from Jesus. That's why when you, if you read the Old Testament and all you see it is characteristic flaws and all this stuff, but you don't see Jesus in it, you're missing out on the stories of the Old Testament. There's Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the prophets, the Songs of Songs, the minor prophets, the major prophets. Jesus is all up in the Old Testament. The only problem was salvation wasn't fully complete until Jesus died on the cross for you and me. Are you with me? There is truth to that. and I know why nobody's sitting in the front because I spit a lot. Sorry. Okay? And that's what's happening. This was what we must make very clear. All right? Traditions that point us to man-made responses is ungodly. All right? This is the way I... Look at what Titus says. Titus says, this is how we are saved. He saved us. Who Who is he? Jesus. God, right? Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own what? Mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It did not say the opposite, that we were saved by circumcision. That we were saved by attending festivals. That we were saved. All of those have value, but they're not the primary value of salvation. We are saved through Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is what? Not your own doing. It is the what? The gift of God. Nothing in you chose God, people. Some of us in this room think that we chose God and we deserve all the praise for choosing God. I hear it in churches give yourself a clap of hand for choosing God today. You did not choose God. You cannot. You're absolutely sinful. What can a dead man do for himself? Why? He's dead. A dead man needs resurrection. You don't do that for yourself. God does that for yourself. Listen to me. This is not a popular message. Pastors won't preach this in the city. You done nothing for yourself. You deserve the same penalty I deserve, hell. And that's what makes the gospel more better, if that makes sense. What makes it more better is that though I was stripped in my sin and I was headed to hell, God in his mercy by the washing of regeneration has made me new in Christ, period. That's all that matters. And listen to me. Even if you did not clap after I said that, it's still true. I'm not looking for a response to get your feelings up and out. I'm looking that your heart is cut and you would experience the same truth. God demands sinners to repent. And how do sinners repent? God cuts the heart. God speaks truth to the heart. And he says, come to me. And we respond to the heart through Christ And there's so much bad theology in our city today. That if you would only do this, God would love you more. Bull. You can't do nothing at all. Circumcision will save you. My my little boy is not circumcised. So you're saying that my son can never trust in Christ because he's never been circumcised? Bull. Look at the word. The text says, by grace, by faith. In Christ alone, through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit, it doesn't say anything about what we have to do, but what God has already done on the cross. The Old Testament, look at this. So the Old Testament, they look at the Ten Commandments, the hundreds of Levitical law, that's there. (coughs) Look at festivals. They look at the male being circumcised exactly on the eighth day. Paul explains this in the Philippians. And look at it. Though these are all valuable symbolic practices of Christ to come. Here's the issue. Christ has come. Therefore, he is enough. And so what happens, the warning side in our text, to understand our text, Paul is sensitive to the Jewish culture, just like I am sensitive to the Hawaiian culture. All right? Not all Hawaiian traditions is bad. Okay? But what Paul is saying, the, the believers are telling Paul, hey, so this is what you do, Paul, okay? Just so that we know more hakaka we know more, f- you know, all this stuff. What you do, Paul, is and we know you believe in the days of purification. We know that's godly. That's a godly symbol. So, Paul, this is what you do. There's four brothers right here, okay? They're going to take a Nazarite vow, okay? And we see specifically in Numbers chapter 6, it gives us the Nazarite vow. Anybody heard of Samson? Samson practiced the Nazarite vial. He couldn't cut his hair, you couldn't touch dead things, you couldn't only eat certain things. And this, is what, this is what it means to purify yourself from the world. Paul, you do this with the four brothers. I think you'll be good. And after the purification, you'll shave your guy's hair off. Now we don't know much about what that means, because the Bible's not clear on that, but the reality is, Paul went through that. Paul loved that, but here's the problem with Christians today. Sometimes we can go through Nazarite vows and we don't know we're even doing it because what Nazarite vows became is asceticism. Say that word with me, asceticism. An ascetic is like a Tabithian monk, all right? We think that the issue is what's around us, right? And so what what ascetics do is they purify themselves to stay away from the wrong things around them. And this is a lot of Christian cults started this way. If you watch the new show Awakel, you know, it was about this big cult movement in the 90s, and eventually the cult was killed by their leader by burning up the house and all that, a, a 51-day standoff with the military. Well, and, and he was a prophet of Christ. What I'm telling you is that we as Christians can be ascetics. We can say, oh, we'll just keep to myself. I don't bother nobody. You know, just me and myself. The problem with that, the problem is not what's around you. The problem is what's in you. You know why you make bad decisions? Because there's an issue in you. You know why you sin? Because there's an issue in you. You know why you lie, steal, cheat, and all that? There's an issue in you. And so what Paul is saying, yeah, though this purification points us to God, the ultimate sacrifice of being purified is through Jesus alone. And as we look at the text today, the warning is so much, Paul, if you want to advance the gospel, all right, practice this purification, but this is what happens, don't stay there. Move on, move on. Here's a biblical truth about tradition. Traditions that point us to Christ stand strong. However, traditions that replace the finished work of Christ are lies, I want you to read that with me out loud. One, two, three. Traditions that point us to Christ stand strong. However, traditions that replace this work of Christ are lies. There are so many people that base their theology on traditionalism, right? That don't lead us to Christ. I know this. I was a part of a traditional church in Tennessee, 150-something years old. I was the first brown-skinned pastor in that church. I was the darkest person in that church. And they were trying their best by hiring me to see that change. The problem was that the people's hearts weren't in the right position. The community would have blacks, white, yellow, brown, you know, haole, uh, Chinese, Asian. They had, they, I was the 1% Polynesian in the county, right? Uh, there was Hispanic. There was all that. But the reality is the whole reason why they were white, well, they went through a time of civil war. That was part of their context and culture. You know what happened in the next year and a half? You would see the, the population of 99% people in our church of whites come down to 85%. Why? Because hearts were starting to be changed. They realized that this, they thought I was Mexican, so they teased me all the time, right? right? And they would always like, and one of the youth group, I was in charge of the youth group, so we would go to the McDonald's down the road, and the auntie would always speak to me in Spanish. So the youth group would all laugh at me, yeah? Right? But that's the reality. That laughed was a bridgeway for racism to come down. Does that make sense? Now we live in a culture here in Hawaii where we accept all races, right? We say even lifestyle, we we you know, you know though it's not godly something, hey, we love you. We want you to be a part of the gospel, but when it comes to tradition, may the traditions we hold fast to is the preaching of the word. We will always preach this as if this is our last time preaching. And may this not point you to man, but may this point you to Christ, the God-man, who has died for your sins, who has gave up his life for you. So how should we respond to this? There's a book. I don't know if we still have it on the counter. We may have sold it all. It's called The Insanity of God. It talks about mission work around the world. And one of the missionaries who was from Kentucky, all right, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, redneck brother, all right, Southern Baptist, all his life, he became a great missionary. And this missionary went all around the world interviewing different Christians from around the world. And he goes to the Middle East, and he leads what everybody is calling the Saul of the New Age. Saul is Paul that we just read, and Saul's main role was killing blasphemers of Christ. Uh, And so what happened, Saul eventually became Paul. Well, this same guy in the Middle East was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This same guy would eventually become the biggest, notorious man in the Middle East because he smuggled Bibles into the Middle East. And then he had a dream, this young man. And in the dream... His wife, son, and whole family was murdered because of his smuggling the Bible. Then he had this conversation with this Kentucky brother, this missionary guy. And he says, he says, Man, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can lose my wife. I don't know if I can lose my son. I don't know if I can lose. I'm gonna have to stop smuggling Bibles. I and mean, they've warned me many times. They told me what the outcome was meant, And then I got a dream. Is it from God, you know? What, what is going on? Like, he's talking to this Kentucky missionary. And you guys got to understand, this Kentucky missionary lost his son in Uganda years ago to illness and all this. And he asked one simple question to this Middle Eastern new Christian, and he says, who was smuggling Bibles. He says these words, and I want you to hear it clear. Is Jesus worth it? tears begin to come down this Middle Eastern Christian's eyes. He began to get broken because when the brother says, is Jesus worth it? He knew what he meant. Is Jesus worth my wife? Is Jesus worth my family? Is Jesus worth my own life? And what happens is this Middle Eastern guy embraces this Kentucky missionary, and they're holding each other. And today, we know because of this Middle Eastern guy, Iran, which is the most persecuted nation in the world for Christians, is the fastest growing Christian nation in the world because people who says, Jesus, you're worth it. So I ask you, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? If Jesus is worth it, would you lay down all your cares on him? Would you cast your burdens on him today? Would you just come to the altar here? I wasn't even going to plan this, but come to the altar. Ask God, you're worth it. Take this from me. Today I'm going to live differently because, Jesus, you are worth it. So I'm going to pray for us. And whoever wants to do that prayer with me, there's no, there's no power in prayer, but there's power in Jesus, and that's where prayer comes to to connect with Jesus. If that's you, would you come to?